Matt Scannell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. I'm happy to be here. I like to start with early musical memories, right? So like maybe it was a record that really spoke to you or, you know, your first concert experience, uh, uh, the, you know, a moment, a moment where you were like, that's what I want. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, the first concert I ever saw was Van Halen in, uh, on the Diver Down tour. Ah, that's like uh, my favorite in- Van Halen record. That's my favorite Van Halen record too. I, I you know, it's funny. Uh, a few uh, of my buddies are are united on that front, and I, I think it's I think it's a darker Van Halen record. I think it's um, it's not as like happy go lucky as some of the other records are. And I think that darkness is something that really intrigued me. I love that record. I think it's uh, incredible. Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, I saw them, um, whatever that would have been, 1982 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Eddie had maybe broken his arm uh, like a couple, like a week or two prior to the show. And so he played the whole show with, with his arm in a cast. And I remember thinking like, okay, so he's that good with his arm in a cast. Like, how how is it even possible? I had started tinkering with the guitar uh, when I was about seven years old. Um, I started taking lessons, like proper lessons, probably not too long thereafter, having seen that concert right around 13. Um, and my, you know, my father, both my mom and my dad uh, were singers in acapella groups in college. My dad had a, a nylon string acoustic guitar that would sort of be propped up in the corner of the living room. And I'd go over there and actually I didn't know how to play it or, or he didn't clearly didn't play it very often because I put, would put it in my lap, like a lap steel kind of thing. And I, I thought, uh, that I didn't know about fretting notes with your left hand. So I just thought you played it more like a harp. And I was like, this isn't a very nice sound, you know, but eventually I did learn that you could play my best friend's girl by the cars by playing the low E string, the, the, the A string, and then play the open B string. Didn't sound quite as good, but that, that riff at the top of that tune, I, that was the one thing I could play. Um, but yeah, so that was the first show and it was mind blowing. I mean, it was truly epic. Um, in every sense of the word, I remember at the end of the show, or maybe for the encore, they re- they they sort of pulled a curtain down, or like whatever those you know the 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 big the uh, you know I don't even know what they're called the big banners that that they hang behind uh, the stage, and they revealed like this pyramid of speakers as and it, it was they were it was fake it was just you know like they're painted on there, but it, but it again it just added to the theater of it and the, the whole thing was just tremendous you know yeah so that uh, was my first concert i mean it was like where do you yeah. go from there yeah, where really? do you go do you remember who the opener was yeah that's a really good question i'm not sure that we made it for the opener i think it was like we were on dad time and so like you know we got there when we got there uh but i do know that we were there for the downbeat like when when that for when the curtain dropped and and they were running around they were so energetic that was one of the things i mean eddie it's interesting and we'll i i think we'll we'll link into our history a little bit here as we go on but but eddie um 
you know, was a, was a huge influence for me. And then, and then kind of, I found some other guys who were a little bit more like my guys. Um, but, uh, but then I sort of came back to Eddie over time because I just, he, he was, I mean, he's, he's just one of the absolute greatest musicians yeah. and not even guitar players, you know, right. just a, an astounding talent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we definitely share that love in common and it was mainly because of my brother jeff who introduced me to that and just a quick eddie van halen story that might make you chuckle i think we were in in my basement or i don't know we were somewhere and it was me and jeff and one of his buddies and he turns the lights out and puts on eruption oh and terrifies <laughs> yeah. the shit out of me <laughs> I was like a little kid and I was like, get me out of this room. This is some, this is some bullshit. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. I can, I can imagine you at that age, you know, just wide eyed going, I don't understand. Right, I don't right. know. But none of us understood it. Let's be right. honest. I mean, you know, when your brother first heard that track, when any of us, I mean, eruption is such a you just they're just throwing the gauntlet down like yeah. like oh you think you've heard something before you think you've heard guitar playing before no you haven't here we go Because what I didn't understand was how could, I mean, I knew what a guitar looked like. I kind of knew technically how it worked. And yet I would watch him play and think that's something else is happening. Like, how can you make yeah. that sound with those yeah. bits? You know what I'm saying? The other thing too is because he played, you know, for a vast majority of his career, guitars with, well, I shouldn't say that, but for a long period of, uh, of his, his career, he played predominantly guitars with single pickups in them, you know, just one humbuck, humbucker in the bridge. Um, to hear that much variety tonally uh, in lesser hands, you sort of think, well, this, there, it's like you're working from a, a more limited, for lack of a better term, palette. So how does this guy do all the things that he does with less than, right. than, than what, what, what a lot of us think we have, you know, as assets, as guitar players? And, and not to mention just technically what he's doing, the, the tapping and the whammy bar. It, it, I, mean, I mean, it's like from outer space what he was doing. Yeah. Well, also, I think something that maybe doesn't get recognized quite as much is 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 his his concept of musical theory was like he he could sell things musically to a listener that lesser 
musicians could never sell. Like if you listen to just uh, in Panama, the um, the the the, the pre-chorus, you know, uh, the way the ba 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 bum. They go to the, the five right, chord right. right before the the one of you know you right. you just you, you go like that's jazz. Like that's he's playing jazz through a plexi. And it sounds like the heaviest thing I've, I mean, not that jazz isn't heavy. It sounds like the heaviest rock thing you've ever heard. And so the musical vocabulary that he worked with, yeah, the pyrotechnics, the, t- the, the tapping, the whammy bar stuff, all that stuff was, was riveting. But, but for, for me, as I, and when I said earlier, like I kind of circled back to him, I, I circled back to him and, and, found in a deep appreciation for him as a rhythm guitar player, mm-hmm. um, as a riff writer. Um, you know, it's, it's those musical passages like unchained, I think mm-hmm. is, if not the greatest riff ever written, it's right up there. I can't, I can't, I never tire of hearing that song and it's so ferocious. The rhythm, the rhythm playing on that track is, uh, I mean, just, astounding mm-hmm. and and so for a guy to be able because you've got like malcolm young and acdc you know uh, famously like l- laying it down while i mean the two of them obviously are legendary but like angus is doing his thing uh and, and malcolm is kind of just kind of like keeping things rooted right mm-hmm. eddie did the he kind of right. did both those things right. you know um yeah he's just he's astonishing so you grew up in a in a household that was was very music uh, appreciative. Remind me where you grew up. Was it was it? On yeah. The- no, I grew up in Worcester, in oh. Massachusetts, in the mid- in the middle of the state. Um, uh, my folks have since moved to Cape Cod, so that's where they are now. Um, but yeah, we grew up in Worcester, and um, yeah, we would just listen to my dad. My mom and dad had you know. Paul Simon records. There goes Ryman Simon was one of the, the 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 frequently played records in our in our household. Um, Abbey Road, you know the Beatles record, the White Album, um, you know Carly Simon, James Taylor. Um, you know th- those were those that was the music that we heard growing up. Uh, and then there was like Placido uh, Placido Domingo and like you know some some more classical stuff that we'd hear and it seemed like we'd hear that maybe more around the holidays but like mostly it was you know it was it was it was those records and I I don't remember it being a vast record collection actually I remember it being kind of like you know four or five records and then maybe they'd listen to to the radio and stuff in the car mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and what led you to Deerfield which is where uh, our kind of stories uh, meet up. Yeah, so I was uh, I was going to a um, to a, a, a like a junior high school in Worcester, and probably paying a little bit too much attention to the girls in my class and uh, not enough attention to my studies. And uh, my parents wisely said, well, what if we remove the girl quotient from your life? Uh, (laughs) Will will you focus, therefore, more on your studies? And so then they sent me off to Deerfield, and I studied pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where Deerfield Academy is where you meet my, my middle brother, Jeff. And yes. can you just share maybe how you guys met? And 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 then I want to share just some brief 
uh, glimpses of memories of hearing you guys play together and being very inspired. Um, so maybe just share that story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, um, both Jeff and I, if I recall correctly, started at Deerfield in our sophomore year. Um, and so, so like word around the school, which, you know, it was a very small school, I don't you know, a couple hundred students, 300 students. I don't remember exactly, but you know, there weren't that many guitar players. And so it was sort of like, you know, word spread quickly that the, the, you know, there was another guy who's a hot guitar player and like, you really should meet this guy. And so, so we, 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 uh, you know, met, we, we met each other and became fast friends. Just, uh, you know, I mean, I kind of can't overstate the impact that your brother Jeff had and has had on my life. Um, but going back to that time, it was like this miracle to find somebody who um, was uh, supremely, t I, to me, just supremely talented as a guitar player, but also was an amazing singer. Um, I, at that time, had focused mostly on my guitar playing and hadn't really thought too much. I mean, it's not entirely true. I, I hadn't, I hadn't focused so much on my singing. Um, and also, you know, I have to mention that, that at the time, you know, I was, because we're talking about Eddie, one of the reasons I really, uh, sort of not fell back in love with Eddie, but like, uh, your brother was a huge Eddie Van Halen yeah, fan. Still and to this so, day. Yeah. yeah. So like, so, so, so some of the deeper Van Halen tracks and records, um, you know, I discovered through your brother. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it wasn't like I was fully formed in my fandom for, for Eddie Van Halen. Your brother really kind of showed me, um, you know, some of that stuff that I hadn't really heard. Um, so, uh, um, and then you, you guys start a band by the way, hold yeah. on, because this is important. I'm just realizing no, this is very important. Okay. We were talking about the diver down tour. That's what we were talking about. Yes. You're, if you like diver down a lot, I'm glad for you, but the Van Halen record and I, this is all, so I misspoke earlier and this is, okay. this is, this is very, this is almost, we just, we just, we just averted tragedy. <laughs> the vet, the best Van Halen record is fair warning. Oh, okay. That's, right. that's what I should have said about 15 minutes ago when I was, <laughs> when I was good. And now those Van Halen fans who were going diver down's not dark you know um but fair warning is and fair so fair warning was a record that i i know this is not a van halen podcast although it's become one Should be. <laughs> yeah at this point um but no i had i had fair warning and i didn't have like some of the other records i guess i had diver down but your brother so to circle it back your brother kind of like played women and children first for me and like i was like oh my gosh and i remember he had this carven I think it's like a V220 or something like that. I don't remember what it was called, but it was kind of like an Explorer and a Flying V kind of together. Uh -huh. It was white with black yeah. hardware. It had a Kaler yeah. tremolo. And, yes. you know, it was a super, super cool instrument. And and he just played so well. And he, I remember, you know, him showing me some of these riffs. And, I'm, I, you know, your brother, one of the things that he uh, did very well was he would figure out how to play songs. Yeah. 
Um, I wasn't as good at that. So, you know, he, he would set his mind to learning a thing and he would just learn it. And so I found that to be incredibly inspiring. Well, and this is obviously way pre-internet. So you can't pull yeah. up a YouTube of some guy shredding it and then slowing it down. And this is where you put your fingers. And you know, Right, right. I mean, that, that, that ear that he had has, you know, uh, I, I, I agree. It, it, it's kind of like staggering that, that to even to, try to chug through those parts and to hear it and to, and say, Oh, I can see it. You know, like, yeah, I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would say that I have it a little bit more now. Um, but I've, but it's never been a real strength of mine to, um, to listen to a piece of music and sort of go, Oh, I know how they're doing that. Um, I, th I think sometimes that's actually stood me in good stead because I, don't necessarily well, as i'm trying to write something i'm not sitting there thinking oh this sounds like that other song uh -huh. i'm i'm sort of i'm sort of just able to grant myself the um uh i don't even know what you'd say like the ability or the 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 the, the grace to just say hey like just let this be what it is and let mm -hmm. this be you know um its own thing right and some of my friends who had spent a lot of time learning how to play songs uh maybe then found it uh harder to start learning to write songs i'm not mm -hmm. sure that that's true or not um and maybe you know I, is that something that you have experienced because you know it, you well so in a sense like in a sense like learning learning these specific parts if you come at it let's say from a kind of a different angle you feel like you're ripping them off like that sort of yeah. vibe yeah. yeah or or just yeah or try, you know or you're being too derivative of this thing and not giving yourself the permission say yeah. to, to explore that if you play say like a d major 7 chord you know like you're not i'm not going to make myself think oh this sounds like ventura highway Right. This is this is just I'm just playing a D major seven chord, like no one owns the D major seven chord. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Obviously, right. You, you can you can you can go that way with riffs. Like you don't want to you don't want to rip off a uh, rip off a riff from someone else. But but I, you know I, I'm not really um, sort of describing this as well as I'd like to. But I do think there is something there that like mm -hmm. some of the guys I know who are um, uh, really. Um, voracious uh uh you know figure outers uh -huh. yeah that's a that's you that's, could, that's how you say yeah, that it is a word a, yeah. hashtag, just hashtag look it up um they're amazing figure outers of other people's music uh don't necessarily uh uh you know find it that easy to create their own yeah yeah i would i would definitely agree with that after Deerfield Academy, it, it was to Duke, right? Was that where you went? No, my brother went to Duke. I went to Georgetown. Georgetown. Um, and it was a really, um, it was an amazing thing because, you know, the, 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 the musical scene in that town was, was pretty incredible. So, you this know, I was early nineties, right? Yeah. So 92, uh, I graduated from college in 92. So I had from 88 to 92 in Washington, DC at school. And then I lived there for, for a number of years following that. But yeah, it was a, it was a really vibrant musical, um, it, almost like surprisingly vibrant 
musically uh, because you you know you'd think that the politics just sort of would dominate that that town and and clearly they do but it was uh yeah it was great and I would save up money and go out and see you know whatever great jazz player was coming into town like Mike Stern and guys like that you know and uh, I remember it being too much money but it was like I, I got to do it I and right. I didn't I didn't drink. Um, so I, I rationalized that like, okay, this is the beer money that I didn't spend, you know, that I I would, I would go out and see some, some great players. And I found that to be incredibly inspiring. Was, was Georgetown, uh, on the radar for music or were you kind of pursuing something else? And music was still at this point, kind of just a hobby, a passion. Yeah, it absolutely was a hobby and a passion. I had sort of made a deal with my folks, um, that I would that I would go and get a college degree and then sort of we'd see what happens kind of thing. And to be fair, I'm not sure that I necessarily felt like I either had what it took or had the, um, um, you know, the, the strength and fortitude to try to quote unquote, make it. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, probably my senior year, um, after having formed vertical horizon, um, with Keith Kane that, that it was like, Hey, let's, you know, let's give this a try. Um, so no, I studied psychology. I, uh, and, uh, I had a, a minor in, um, in English. Um, and I, but I did take a fair number of, of, you know, music classes, but they, they tended more towards uh, music, music history classes. Um, and I do remember uh, one of one of my instructors who actually taught jazz was uh, a, a, a bassist in the National Symphony, and he would give his students tickets to come see him play. So we would go with with some regularity to to see him play these incredible classical musical pieces, wow. and and it was so it's a, it was a really interesting education, uh, not from a. Th- the music theory point of view, and that's never been something that, I, that is particularly my strong suit. Um, but to to have these sort of experiential moments of of varying styles of music, everything from you know like folk stuff at the Birchmere to like Blues Alley, which was more of a jazz place, a nine thirty club was like more like you know punk and you know rock and stuff and then to to the national symphony it was it wow. was great it was incredible yeah wow well let's talk about that that early era of vertical horizon and it kind of started out as an acoustic duo right yeah very much so you know i had played in bands with your brother in high school um and uh, I had played in, in in a band with my childhood best friend, who who remains really, you know, one of my absolute best friends, uh, who was a drummer. His name's name's Jim Levine. Um, uh, he's a doctor now in Boston, but he played he played drums, and I played guitar. And we and this is way you know like elementary school era, or like no, that's not true. Middle school because I, I would have had. Uh, a guitar, some sort of, oh, we would rent, that's right. We would rent, we'd go down to Union Music in Mass, in Worcester, Massachusetts, and we would, <laughs> we'd rent an electric guitar for the weekend, and I would rent like a pedal. I would rent uh, like a DOD uh, yeah. distor- or MXR Distortion Plus or a, a DOD Overdrive. And, 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 and then uh, his brother was a keyboard, keyboard player, so we would plug 
it must have sounded horrendous plug this rented electric guitar or whatever it was into a keyboard amplifier which of course is full range right so it was just horrendous uh and a distortion you imagine an mxr distortion plus like direct into a full range speaker like (laughs) just like as gnarly and horrendous as you could possibly imagine but we had a band called tones to with the with the accent over the the, like the 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 long o uh accent over o and and then and then we then we then we were like tones is not so cool so oh we like sapphire so we changed our name to sapphire but we thought it was we thought it looked cooler with two p's so (laughs) so or one p one p one p whatever the correct spelling of sapphire is not that yeah it's not that it's not that we were really good at logos we would do like this like the like the 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 obligatory like metally kind of logos yeah but then yeah then um then you know i then you know doing bands with your brother we were i think was the very things was one of them and then off the cuff was another one i remember off Um, the cuff. that's right yeah yeah off the cuff gosh uh but um and then yeah so so vertical horizon um was uh different for me um uh but keith uh had just an acoustic uh gig at at this place called dylan's dylan's cafe in georgetown and he would go and just play on his own and uh and play just nothing but cover tunes and i met him at a party one night and we you know we were passing the acoustic guitar around and i um i played a version of michael hedge's version of all along the watchtower um, the Dylan and Hendrix tune, right. and you know, you could say it, it's right. probably both Dylan, Dylan's and Hendrix's at this point, amongst probably many others. But um, so I played Michael Hedges' version of that, and it was it was it was fun to be able to do it, and it involved some kind of crazy tapping and right. you know clanging on the guitar, and and Keith was like, hey, this is that's really cool. You you, you know how to play that thing? Maybe you should come down and, and sit in with me. So I sat sat in with him uh, on a number of nights, and over time we just started hanging out and really enjoying playing together. And yeah, eventually formed this thing called Vertical Horizon, which was an acoustic duo. We toured. I mean, it's a long story short, but we 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 sort of wound up touring around the country, basically from Texas all the way back up to uh, D.C. and then points north. We'd make up, you know, make it up to to Massachusetts, um, and it was amazing because you could just go in an SUV with two acoustic guitars. Uh, it's not really like that anymore. Right. But uh, you know, it was it was a it was it was a great way to get your music out there and not have to have a whole bunch of gear and personnel and i think it's one of the reasons why we 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 achieved some success another thing you know you were mentioning this is sort of pre-internet earlier um you know we i think playing in washington dc was it almost can't be overstated like how geographically important it was for us to have been there because you'd have all these interns that would come in from all around the country um and they would uh you know go out to bars at night and then and then they'd be there for whatever three or four months and then they'd go back to their town and they would bring cassettes of our of us playing our music and share it with their friends so it was like we had this viral kind of marketing thing um you know what i mean like before 
before you know the internet and um so so we would get requests from fraternities and sororities all over the country and it was because uh because artists had heard us uh, excuse me because uh, uh, uh students had heard us play in, in in dc while they were doing their internship that's interesting yeah. that, that you know in a place like dc not not to call it transient but but people kind of come in and out and that's a huge a benefit yeah to spreading the music yeah, kind it, of organically it was we 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 reaped the the benefits from that uh, massively. There was no question about it. And so, was it at that point that you started to take singing seriously? I mean, you went from kind of really focusing on the electric guitar to now your acoustic guitar and a, I mean, a very different kind of approach to songs and songwriting and yeah. and tones and, yeah. and technique and stuff. Is that when that kind of started to happen? Yeah, that's a great. It's a great question because it was a sort of seismic shift on some levels where I. Right. I realized I you know when when Jeff and I your brother Jeff and I were were drilling down on like how to play you know blue powder from from Steve Vai's you know whatever the 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 passion and warfare record like we're trying to like trying to learn how how to play this stuff I was realizing like hey I don't know that I can do that and Eric Johnson like I'm not sure yeah. that I'm going to be able to like out Vinny Moore Vinny Moore or any of these cats and so I thought well uh and I'm not sure how much of a conscious decision it was on my part so much as it was um how, how can I expand what I do? I think it really came up probably from a bit of a sense of frustration of like, uh, you know, who else, who else is going to sing? Like who else is going to sing the, th these songs with whatever this project is, whatever the, the thing is that I was, that I was, you know, contemplating at the time, I realized that the, probably I should tr at least try. So I would listen to James Taylor records, um that's why i'm here was one of the huge ones that i would listen to and i would sing every line with james in thirds or like uh, like upper thirds or lower third harmonies and so i i um that's kind of how i learned sort of to sing but definitely how to sing harmony and um, and if you listen now, which I'm not sure that I recommend that you do, but if you do listen to our first record, which is called There and Back Again, um, you'll hear me kind of sounding an awful lot like a guy who's trying to sound like James Taylor. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I, so I, I hadn't found my voice yet. Um, but I definitely, you know, had learned an awful lot by listening to james taylor records in general but uh, but that's why i'm here in particular um it's, and then yeah yeah I, I think over time it just was like oh man I, I have to take this as seriously as i take guitar huh it's so funny that that you bring up james taylor because um that was really the first artist where at least i could sing in in his range uh, yeah because sure. i was listening to a lot of prince at that time or mm. whatever was on the radio right like so like late 80s uh prince i didn't i couldn't sing those notes i just physically couldn't do it right. until i heard james taylor mm -hmm. and i was like i can at least sing this melody and yes. then say like oh it's so easy to harmonize oh you know like i don't know i just that was my first concert uh probably the biggest influence on me 
mm-hmm. um, and just realizing that, oh, I can sing something that's on the radio. You know, that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a possibility. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because when you listen to um, Led Zeppelin, uh, right. you know, or any number of those, you know, in the more metal years, a lot of the 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 the, the vocalists tended to be higher tenor. Yeah you know, voices. And, right. and so I agree with you, you know, I'm, I'm a natural baritone. I've, I've learned to stretch it a little bit and get a little bit higher. Um, but, um, my natural sort of area is in that kind of just middle baritone yeah. range. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So touring around as an acoustic duo, this is, uh, kind of early nineties. What was the transition from that kind of, well, first of all, the, the transition from kind of an acoustic duo to 1999, you had a pretty big record in 1999, yeah. Yeah. but how did that all transpire and, and, and move? So I, as soon as we started to gain something of a following, I, I wanted to get more people involved on stage. I wanted to, I wanted a drummer. I, you know, going back to my, you know, my best friend and I in his basement when we were growing up, it was drums and me, right? So like drums and guitar. So throughout all of those, uh, well, all of those, those, those few years where we were just an acoustic duo, I was sort of missing that thing that I had felt fundamentally connected to, which was the drums. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the other thing too that is worth, you know, I, I I don't know if you've experienced this, but I I bet you have at this point. When you're just an acoustic performer and you're playing in a room full of people who have beverages in their hands, like it's kind of hard sometimes to keep their attention. You know, it's like sure. it's kind of hard to like to command that moment. But when you've got a drummer, it's un deniable like you you know right. people are going to be tapping their feet along and you know so so i think it was partly reactionary uh for me in that regard as well um but yeah so we we kind of started transitioning we made a record called running on ice uh which you know was the first well you know the our second record and the first one with a sort of band uh component and and we were very very lucky to have carter beauford from dave matthews band play drums on that record it was uh it was just uh i can't overstate it like he he was he was and is just such a sweet soul and and was so supportive we had met him through john alasia and doug derryberry who were guys within that scene uh the 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 the, you know that sort of dc virginia Virginia, kind of scene at charlottesville and stuff so um uh, but yeah, so Carter played on, on the record and then, it, and then it became like, oh my goodness, like we gotta have drums on the road. And, um, so we, you know, we, we eventually found Ed Toth who, uh, joined us and, and, you know, is an amazing drummer. Now he plays with the Doobie brothers. Oh, um, cool. yeah. And, and, uh, a, a guy who I had gone to Georgetown with named Ryan Fisher was playing bass with us at the time we came out with a, a record called live stages which was uh you know a, a live record which is which was actually now it's funny we made that record almost like a um as as a sort of raising of the, the of the middle finger to the, the 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 major labels because we felt we felt that we weren't getting recognized by them and we, we weren't being pursued by them and we were frustrated by that and so we purposely started that record off with like 
45 seconds of just the fans just screaming at the top of their lungs. And, and it was almost like, okay, we don't need you. You know what I mean? Right. And, and interestingly enough, once, once we put that record into some A&R people's hands and we had sound scanned something like 70,000 units or something, Mm. um, uh, that was when the, the the sort of dam broke and then it became like okay well now the majors are interested and um you know i think i think my songwriting i'll speak for myself my songwriting still had a way to go and so i really doubled down on trying to uh get better at the craft um because we i wasn't there yet and um so I think that was one of the reasons why people weren't that interested. Not that the songs that are on those old records are are bad, because I, I love those songs. But um, you know, as a writer, maybe I hadn't found my uh, stride yet. And so that the, the the time following the release of of live stages to the release of everything you want was was an incredibly incredibly intense period for me where it was really like hey it's it's now or never like we're you know either either i'm going to write some songs that are going to make this thing happen or i'm not and it's not going to happen and both paths sort of have some some uh probably some positives and negatives, but I wasn't interested in the, uh, you know, the, the latter path. I wanted it to happen. And so, you know, I wrote, I don't even remember how many, you know, hundred songs or something and, and just really, really did it. You know, uh, I'm proud of myself for having, um, um, set the bar high and to, to, to be tough with myself about like, Hey, I got to get better at this. And so, um, I started taking singing lessons and and you know working on my writing and 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 that helped I think us get to the the next level. Did you have kind of a, a um a blueprint like a like a like a songwriting approach or style that you were trying to emulate or take aspects from and incorporate into your own voice and 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 word? That's a really really good question and I want to say yes and then be able to reveal some clever answer. But I actually don't know that I did. Um, I do know that I was very much a sort of sponge and I was um, trying to take in as much inspiration uh, as possible. And, you know, if I'd hear something like a, like a, like a, a chord progression, uh, you know, a, a one to a five minor to a four, there'd be something like, oh, well, wait a second. I, I want to incorporate th- something about the way that feels emotionally into a song that, that I, that, that, that I've written. And because I, I, because, of, because I'm not a very musically, uh, music, music theory, literate, uh, guy, I, I, you know those simple moves actually would be revelations to me when when you know because because the the one chord has a major five chord you know what i mean like you don't have a b minor when you're playing an e major and you're playing the five chord like i i didn't get that um and so uh hearing some of those things and 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 learning from them and f- feeling the way those those different chord changes felt mm-hmm. helped me kind of um uh uh, you know, get better as a writer, but I did not know. I, I, I can't say that I, I do remember when I wrote best I ever had that I, I had to listen to 
I, I listened with trepidation to specifically to my Radiohead records because I thought that I might have ripped something about that song off from Radiohead. And because I, mean, I honestly felt and feel that that melody, I feel like that song was better than I was. I felt ah, like that melody was was better than than I was. And so I was suspicious of it. And I thought like, okay, wait a second, did that come from somewhere else? And I was so relieved when when I realized that it just no, it's not it came from inside inside of me, you know. So you sailed away into a gray sky morning. Now I'm here to stay. Love can be so boring. Nothing's quite the same now. I just say your name now, but it's not so bad. You're only the best I ever had. You don't want me back. You're just the best I ever had. Hit me favorite, give me top two favorite Radiohead records. Um, well, um, OK Computer was, um, I mean, pa Pablo Honey, OK. Uh, I, the thing is that when I heard when I heard in Rainbows, I was surprised. Oh, man, I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay, computer, kid A. Yeah. Uh, and, um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a cruel. Yeah, I've know, only I've only seen them once, and it was astounding. Yeah. How good they were, and I and I actually went with a bit of an attitude. Like everyone says how great they are. I'm going to be the, you know, the, 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 the guy who's like <laughs> arms crossed, leaning back, like, right. okay, dudes, right. impress me. Right. Right. And I saw him at the Santa Barbara Bowl here in, in California, which is one of the greatest venues you could see any band at. And it was, it was so magical and pure. And that's, that's something that I, that I, as time has gone on, that I'm, I'm, I'm more and more connected to is purity, is 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 a purity of purpose and authenticity and honesty, real. Something has to be real and true, and if it's not, I'm just less compelled by it. And I felt like they were as real and true as it gets. And I, I kind of wanted to be like, yeah, man, they lost it, man. They're not, you know what I mean? And yeah. and that they, they were astounding, you know. Um, every, they what played every. What, what, what they, record well, they, were they touring on? They were. Oh boy, that would have. I think it would have been in Rainbows. Huh. But they played everything in its right place, which oh. 
is probably my favorite crusher yeah it's a crusher it's so good yeah and so small right like like i listened to your podcast on uh the deep dive on wallflower uh, uh tom petty's wallflower. yeah, wildflowers, yeah. Wildflowers, excuse me, and um, and and one of you guys, I don't recall who it was, said like uh, uh, one of the tunes was a four. It was like it was like a. It was like you're talking about like like it's a the volumes on four. It's a, it's a four. There's no big crescendo. There's no. I don't recall which 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 tune you guys. It, um, it might have been. Um, uh, let's get to the point. Let's roll oh, yeah. another oh, joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you don't know how it feels. You don't know um, how it feels, yeah. And and but it, but you said that this, that it was like it's a four, right? And I I've I've admired you know for me that goes back. I'm a bit scatterbrained right now, but that goes back to me to hearing like great reggae music, where uh -huh. I feel like when I listen to great reggae, um, and and I'm not that well versed in it, but like when I hear you know. Um, like Bob Marley, or is it Peter Tosh, or like yeah. some of these 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 classic artists and bands, like the bands, right. I feel like they're always just holding back, and you feel like they could lean into it and blow your brains out, but they're not going to do that. They're it's, just going to hold patient, back a little bit. Patience, yeah, patient. There you go. And and so everything in its right place to me is one of those examples like supreme examples of musical patience yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know I, I wouldn't have had the confidence to have it to have to have it be so small you know right 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 it, oh. yeah you want to pay off somewhere you want a big yeah. boy, a catchy sing along let's go you know yeah, yeah. it just sits there Din -din -din -din. yeah oh my gosh <laughs> magic um well let's can we just go back to kind of that moment in your life that that moment when things do start to click with vertical horizon and and a and r people are starting to pay attention and and just like looking back at that and and maybe sharing um some anecdotes about that process and maybe yeah. and maybe some things that you look back on now and say i wish i had done that or made sure that this happened or you know like you know, you're whatever first time being approached by a major label. You're just like, yes, what, where do I sign? Like that sort of thing. Right. Do you have any um, specific memories about the process? I mean, I don't want to get super well, technical, but you know. Yeah. So, so th this would be a really great moment for me to give props to one of my best friends in the world who was kind of like my godfather and big brother. His name is Frank Puccio. And he, um, He's an attorney in uh, in Worcester in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and he um, all along our journey and continuing to this day, he has been almost like my consigliere. like he 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 would never let me sign some dumb deal uh, with anybody. And um, so, I always had this very measured, and Frank is actually anything but measured. He's incredibly animated and, you know, Italian and like loves to like fly off the handle and he's the best, but, but, but he's, a, he's, a, he's a, an amazing attorney. And so he, as we were being approached, as people started coming to the table, both from a publishing perspective and from a, a, a label perspective, he was encouraging us to take a minute. You know, we, we actually found a, a, 
uh, a very good attorney in in, uh, in Nashville who uh, helped us with the actual mechanics of, of the deals that we did sign. But we always, you know, circling back to the we don't need you thing that we were feeling from the, you know, the first 40 seconds of live stages, we, you know, I think I definitely wanted to feel what it felt like to get shot out of a cannon, um, you know, and, and that's what the major label, uh, 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 you know, sort of system did at the time. Um, but at the same time, I also didn't want to do it on someone else's terms. Hmm. And, and so, so uh, I, I have to be honest with you and say that there's not a whole lot that I would have done differently. I think the, the, the challenging time for me and for us came after everything you want, right? When, when the go record uh, came out. Um, so, so the, the, you know, the, the everything you want time and, and that, um, I, I do remember having a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine who was, who was in a band and they were making a, a, a record for a nut for, for a major label. Um, and I, I was at that place where I was like, I was, I was ready to give up. I was, I was mm. ready to, to throw in the towel. And one of the reasons I was ready to throw in the towel is he was working on this record and he, and he called me and he's like, yeah, we had this guy, we had this guy, you know, in here playing on, on our record today. I don't know. He's a guitar player. He's, he's really good. I don't know. His name was Steve something, Steve. I don't know, Steve. And I was like, Lukather. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. The that's guy. it. Yeah, that's yeah. The guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I, I want to kill myself and I want to quit this business. Um, and in and that I, order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and coincidentally enough, like it, it wasn't, I think like two or three weeks later that we went down to South by Southwest and that where, that was where Maverick, Lionel Conway from Maverick Music, which was uh, Madonna's publishing company, approached us and basically said, you guys, I, I, I want to sign you and, and, and support you. And, and then everything started happening. So I was, I was on the kind of um, on the edge of, of saying, hey, this isn't going to happen. Um, but no, that, the, the, that whole time, I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of, 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 of what we did. I'm, I'm proud of the music and 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 I'm grateful for the incredible team because the, the other thing to, that that can't be overstated is like getting signed to a major label is the first step, right? It's like right. it's like I mean, you obviously you have to have the material, you have to be able to perform live and all those things, but like I think there's this myth and I'm not sure if it really is perpetuated anymore. But like back in, in, in my time, you know, our time when we were younger, it was like th the end game was getting signed to a major yeah. label. That's, yeah. it's com a complete fallacy. It, it, you know, you need to be the major labels priority and, and they, you need to be their pet project. And, right. and we really were like under Bob Jameson at RCA, uh -huh. uh, we were, we were a huge priority to that label. And they, you know, and David Bendith, who was our A&R guy, um, Kaya Gula, who was our product manager, um, you know, these people, Jack Rovner, who was the vice president, they went to the mat for us. It was like, yeah. it was like every time the, the question was asked, like, should we, should we continue to try to make this happen for this band? The answer was yes. Yeah. And, and so if you don't have that, then, then, you know, you fall to the wayside. I mean, 
nowadays, I, I you know, I don't right. even know the world's right. so different. But at the time, um, and I don't think we could have realized uh, just how fortunate we were um, to have that the focus of this team yeah. for, for for a prolonged period of time. And then, of course, you know, once you don't have that focus, you also you know you know what that feels like, and that's not quite so fun. Can you just, I mean, I know it's going to be tough to do, but I mean, you guys were on top. I mean, I remember watching the videos, uh, and, and being like, I, I know, I know that guy, I know that guy. Yeah. And, and yeah. just, and just thinking he must be on top of the world, uh, living every rock and roll cliche. I mean, in, you know, in a good way, touring the world and playing these huge stadiums. I mean, I just would imagine that that would kind of mess with your head unless you're mm -hmm. i don't know unless you're ready for it or i don't know i i just i can't imagine that transition yeah well i i can't say that it didn't mess with my head but i do think that we um you know we come from uh solid families who were kind of like vigilantly kind of watching out for some of the pitfalls, pitfalls. and perils of, of of that of that side of 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 the music business the other thing too that's important to remember is yeah we we definitely had some success but like it's not it, you know it was never like us selling out stadiums it was us being fortunate to open for a band that was playing at a really big you know shed or something or like playing on our, at a radio show at redskin stadium in, in washington dc you know and and stone temple pilots were headlining or like playing in chicago like we were the first band at like chicago speedway or whatever it was we're the first band on the bill and metallica is the headliner at at 10 p.m so uh -huh. like you uh -huh. know we 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 were we were doing those things which which look impressive outwardly and they were impressive but but it was also like i don't think we were ever under any delusion that we were actually some big deal i think we 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 we, we knew that that the songs that had been impactful uh were were making a mark in the world and that was uh a privilege um, but also the result of an awful lot of hard work. But I, but, but I don't think, I mean, I, I, it was, it was never a question in my mind of like the heads getting too big and people starting to believe, you know, their own, you know, BS, I, right. you know, I, I, but I, but I can't say that, 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 it, that it didn't, doesn't mess with you. Cause it yeah. does, it yeah. does. There's no yeah. doubt about it. I know a little bit about kind of what happens after everything you want and, and, and maybe correct my story when I get off track, but, but basically control of the label changes or it was sold or, or, or it was merged into another label mm -hmm. and the A&R department didn't really have the same vision that you originally enjoyed. Yeah. And I mean, talk about a, a mind fuck, uh, that even that changed right so you get this thing and you're and you're you're living the dream and and playing your music and you're touching people with this this content this art that you created and then just to get in a situation where and and having a number one song and then you get in a situation where people are like i just don't see it yeah it was really really hard um i think it was something like 85 percent of the employees at rca were let go um so it, it really truly was 
everyone who championed us was gone and we had to uh, you know, most, most, most everyone who championed us was gone and we had to kind of try to make friends with the new people. Um, and it was, you know, Clive Davis, who, uh, has obviously been, um, an incredible musical force, uh, for, for artists that he loves, but he didn't love us. And it was very clear that he didn't love us. And, but, um, but how could he deny the success that you had with that record? Oh, we'd have to get we'd have to get Clive on the phone. Can we Let's get, get Clive yeah? On? Hold on one second. Oh, all right, I got his yeah, I got his number. If you don't, <laughs> no. um, look, I mean, I I think it's it's I okay. So I'll take some of the responsibility because I we have to take some responsibility. If we had given Clive Davis a song or a couple songs that he felt could do what he needed our band to do to uh to warrant us becoming a major pr priority for him then he would have done it he's a businessman right so um uh he he did originally listen to to what we had done for go and say i don't really hear a first single so i went back and i wrote i'm still here um uh and then that was the quote unquote single for that record but but it was a um man it was a that was a real blow so like if life is peaks and valleys right it, this was a real valley i remember when the record came out we were in i think chicago and i went to four or five record stores and found maybe one or two copies and they were all like in the in the bins no sort of like like promotional space whatsoever mm -hmm. um and I remember actually, this is funny. I remember going to. It's funny the things the things that that that, that stick out in our memory, right? right. I, I went to like a Seven Eleven or something, and I I was buying like a soda, and the guy behind me was buying like a you know an iced coffee or something, and I was having such a bad day that I wanted to do something that would make me feel better. So I asked him if I could buy him his iced coffee, and he got like indignant with me, like, "No, you're not buying my iced coffee." Like I'm, I'm not gonna let you. Who, I, you're not buying me a drink at a Seven Eleven. How dare you? And it was just, it's just one of those funny moments in life where you kind of go like, I couldn't even buy the guy behind me, right. uh, you know, a nice coffee. But um, it was, yeah, it was, it was. But look, I mean, here's the beautiful thing. Actually, is like everything that happens to us informs us, right? It, it, yeah. it, it becomes part of our story and part of of who we are, and. So like where I am now, both as a, as a writer and, and, and way more importantly, as a human being is the, I, I am the product of my experiences. And, um, you know, I have learned so much from the, the, the challenges and, and the, the incredible sort of blessings. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, it's not that I would say I wouldn't change a thing because I think that would probably not be true but i but but i i, I love where we are i love i i've got a great life you know it's like it's 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 fine you know <laughs> everything's fine i'm good yeah i'm good i told jeff that i was chatting with you and he had a question for you yes Ask Matt about the concert tour t-shirts he designed in grade school for his future world tour. <laughs>
<laughs> I've died to know what the hell he's talking okay. about. Okay. All right. So you'll, rec- you'll, you'll recall Sapphire and Tones, right? How, um, how will I ever forget those? I mean, honestly, they're, I mean, you know, the legacy of both those bands. <laughs> so, so Jim Levine, who I know as James. So James uh, and I would fantasize about uh, uh, becoming rock stars. And our favorite band was, and is to this day rush. Uh-huh. And so we, <laughs> we would draw out, you know, wildly accurate stage plots, um, with drum sets that were, you know, like right. the, the yearly albums. Uh-huh. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the yearly output of of, of DW drums, right. uh, like condensed down onto one stage, and and we would take when we would go see Rush, you know, they would sell these tour books, and uh, so we we would go through the tour books and copy. We would make our own tour books that included like like the the stage plot and everything and 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 my gear list of two hundred amplifiers and right. seven thousand guitars, <laughs> and then we would credit the the um our tour personnel. So we would copy <laughs> we we would copy all of Russia's tour personnel. So so we got all of Russia's crew uh, uh-huh. with us on the right. on those on those tours right in quotes right. um yeah and and we would yeah we, there was merch uh all of it was hypothetical um and uh it, look brian we, we were nothing if not imaginative and and what we lacked in actual music wow well, we more than made up for in product in tour planning <laughs> yeah in tour planning so yeah we had we had t-shirts with with uh with with these wild logos yeah and, and i would <laughs> I, love it. I, I would i would also I would I I used to write I probably shouldn't I wonder what the statute of limitations is on this but I would write our band's logo onto the back of the chairs in in, in my in in my class um in 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 junior high so there were sapphire logos on the back of each just just about every chair in every room um because i i would make my way around to all of them um but yeah it, we had big dreams Brian we had big yeah. dreams well, how was it then to meet Neil Pert and to work with Neil Pert? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, so I think, you know, the people say often, like, you don't want to meet your heroes. Right. Um, and I think that's probably true oftentimes. But, um, you know, the guys in Rush are uh, incredible human beings. Obviously, they're supremely talented. Um but Neil, you know, it was interesting because Neil was my favorite lyricist. He was my favorite drummer in my favorite band. Hmm. Um, and when I met him through a crazy sort of confluence of events, as I was trying to think of what to say to him about how, how can I distill a, a lifetime's hmm. worth of love and admiration for his music, uh, into a sentence or two, right? He right. sort of reached down to me with this huge hand. He was this big, big guy. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I, I, I'm a big fan of your work. He oh. said that to me. Oh, and nice. and so in that moment, it was a real, uh, he, was, he was an incredibly gracious man, you know, and I, and I know that he wanted, um, he wanted to he he wanted to relate to people on an even level and i think that he 
um, uh, he, he would strive for that in an incredibly gracious and elegant way. So, so he kind of took the air out of that moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and made it kind of just like we were standing on even ground, made a human, which was, yeah. yeah, made a human. And so we, so we started sort of talking about other things. We started talking about watches, which was a shared passion for both of us and cars, which is kind of how we met. Um, and it wasn't until years and years later um, that he really, he became like my brother. He became like my big brother. And uh, we used to do all kinds of just uh, wonderful and fun things together. And also talk about real things and difficult things. And he helped me, you know, with a, with a lot of stuff. Um, and then eventually I, I remember, he, so he, he, he was writing a book and he had a poem um, that sort of sort of was like opened the book. It was the the you know as you as you as you started reading the book, there was a poem at the top of the book, and he showed it to me and asked me what I thought. And there was this one line, you know, as a songwriter, uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite ways of saying. I think we can do this better. Is I is I, is if I'm in a collaboration with someone, I'll say I think we can beat this. And I, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a kind way of saying like, maybe this, we can do this a little bit better. And as I was reading through this, this beautiful poem, there was this one line that I, if I was honest with myself, I thought he could beat. Huh. And he, when he asked me what I thought, I had this moment where I thought to myself, okay, this is the line in the sand. This is the moment huh. where I either say it's the greatest thing I've ever read, it's perfect, you're perfect, and everything you do is perfect. Or I have that little bit of, of, of well, not a little bit of honesty, but I, I'm honest with my friend, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. give him sort of my opinion about this thing, and just be real, and um, which is how we were with each other. And so I just said, well, he's, you know, I, I, I kind of just braced myself and i said you know i think it's really really beautiful and maybe you could beat this one line and it was really it was it was so oh gosh i, I get emotional when i talk about him um it was incredible because in that moment he totally took it on board with um you know uh uh he he wasn't one of those guys who thought everything he did was perfect, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so he he worked so hard at everything he did to get where he got. Like mm -hmm. I think sometimes people, well, I mean he 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 was he was he was notoriously a perfectionist. But there's one thing to say you're a perfectionist and another thing to sort of reveal the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours that it takes for someone like slaving at the craft to get yeah. to the place where they can achieve something approaching perfection. Right. Yeah. And, and so Neil kind of just grinned at me and said, yeah, you know, I'm going to think on that. I'm going to think on that. And later that night, he said, we should write a song together. <sighs> and I think that plausibly it was that moment of me kind of really telling him how I thought, what I thought, that maybe sort of made him think, well, hey, maybe we could have that kind of a relationship where we could, you know, um, 
honestly and collaboratively craft something together because you need to be able to tell your friend and your right. collaborator hey i think we could beat this thing right and um and so then yeah so so we wrote a song called even now together which is on the um burning the days record and when he you know he hand he handed me the lyrics to to even now it was, an, it was a title that he had, a concept that he had, and he wrote all the lyrics out. And not only did he write the lyrics out, but he printed it on like thick stock paper. And, it, and like there were beautiful margins. I mean, it was like, it was, it was what you'd expect a well, Neil Peart lyric to look like. And, that, and that's basically saying it's done. You can't mess yeah. with it. It's on stock paper. It's a border. <laughs> it's printed out. <laughs> I, there's nothing, I'm, we're not going to beat any of these lines. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget about yeah, it. Right? Yeah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, it was cool because the first time I saw that, you know, he handed it to me and said, "Hey, what do you what do you think?" And I started reading it down. And I had an acoustic in my hand, and I just started playing some chords and singing the lyrics. And and so, uh, just as quickly as I sort of received this beautiful lyric from him the music and melody of the song was born and it just became this entity and then at, at the end of the song there's this little uh outro thing um where you know the lyric is all that summer in the moonlight you were dreaming i was believing and it was a melody that i came up with and i was just like hey it would be really nice if we could have almost like a chorus of voices singing this melody is there any, you know, could you, could you have a think on it and come up with some lyrics for that? And he, sure enough, he did. He came up with those lyrics. And, um, when we were, when we were sort of finishing the song, I, I just sort of, again, like took the chance and I said, Hey man, you know, I have to ask you if you'll play drums on this song. And, and he said to me, it was so great. He said, no one else can play drums on this song. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, that's just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and, and so I booked Capitol. I booked, uh, I guess it was Studio A at Capitol Records, wow. Capitol Studios. And, uh, and we did the whole thing. And DW Drums like made a special drum set for him for... <laughs> for for that session but it could be something that he wound up using an awful lot but but the the the, the impetus for that kit was like our session together which wow. is just crazy that town crazy. and um but but that was then the other thing i said well okay neil uh <laughs> you, um you and i both know that you're gonna you're gonna cut this song in about 40 minutes and I have to book the studio for three hours minimum. So is there any way you could maybe play on another song on the record? There you go. There and, you go. and so I sent him some other songs and he wound up playing on two other songs on that record. And then on our following record on, on Echoes from the Underground, he played, plays on two songs on that record. Even now, after all these years, I think about you with both joy and pain even now I remember when you left I walked all night through the rain broken and lost swearing I'd 
really, really what it is is he, he, he it's very hard for me to speak about him in the past tense. So uh, he is supremely talented and, uh, and more importantly, he, he is one of my the absolute favorite human beings I've ever come across in my life. And I love him dearly. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, an astonishingly beautiful and also pure and real um, privilege, and yet uh, it, it also was just it was just me hanging out with my with my dear with you know my dear friend. Um, yeah, pretty 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 amazing. That is surreal. Yeah. How does it feel to be back uh, touring again? Yeah, it feels. Uh, wow. Um, you know, I feel like I had a vitamin deficiency for the last two years yeah. and now I've got shots of that vitamin again. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel, uh, some, we just played in, uh, South Ogden, Utah, two nights ago, um, North of Salt Lake city. And, and the audience was just absolutely fantastic. Like they were tremendous singing along right there with us, uh, the whole night. And, um, it, it 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 feels i mean you, you can't help but sort of savor it mm -hmm. uh, uh it, it's it's a little more precious right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um we sort of last summer we were we were uh the, the guys in train pat and his his team graciously invited us to to go out on the road with them for a month and uh it was it was sort of the absolute best case scenario way of coming out of uh, of of what we thought was the only COVID lockdown, um, uh, and so we, so we you know we were able to play some certainly bigger shows uh, by some margin than we'd be able to play on our own with them, and that was that was amazing too. You know, it's like to go from nothing to you know Wolf Trap wow, uh, was like I uh, that venue. yeah, it's just an astounding venue. Um, incidentally, Keith and I opened up for Huey Lewis in the news there and, oh uh, yeah. And, and, and it was just us, you know, two acoustic guitars and Huey was off side stage and, you know, it was Huey Lewis. It was like, you know, he was, uh, hey, he was a man. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I, I, to this day, like, I love his voice. I love his persona. I know he's been dealing with some, some real challenges in yeah. terms of his, uh, his hearing and everything, but like coming off stage, you know, that was here, here's Huey Lewis. What, you know, what, oh, what do we say? And he, yeah. and he was like, you guys are great, man. You know, excellent job. It was so fun to hear you play. And, you know, some of those experiences, uh, early on, like they live with you forever. Yeah. I have to, you know, let me, let me, so one more, because I think it's important, um, to say thank you to, to, to these people, even if it just goes out into the ether and, and they never hear anything of it. When I lived in um, when I lived in New York City uh, in that sort of ninety um, five six seven you know range, I was walking through the Times Square ish area and I saw Steve Howe from Yes, the guitar player from Yes, sitting alone in a restaurant in the window, <laughs> and I stopped. And I turned around and I walked into the restaurant and up to him at his table and interrupted him. And I, <laughs> and I said, excuse me, Mr. Howe, 
Um, I'm so sorry. I mean, clearly I wasn't that sorry, but I was like, I'm sorry, so, I'm not so sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I know you're eating your meal and reading a book, both of which he was doing, uh, and not exactly like, this is not exactly a meet and greet, but can I just please say thank you, uh, for your inspiration? Cause I, I love, yes, I love Asia. I love like, you know, those bands that, that he was a part of. And, um, and so I just, I just said, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but but just know that like you've had a huge impact on me as a as a musician as a guitar player, and I was starting to back away. And he said, "Well, what do you what do you do? You know?" And I told him about my band, and 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 then I started to back away again. And he and he graciously, you know, continued said, "Well, you're coming to the show tonight." And it was it was a time. Uh, when you know i was i was buying the pasta on sale on wednesdays uh at, at d'agostino you know like 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 i think it was it was it was there was no there were no extra funds uh available for anything really um and i said no i i i i i i don't have a ticket and i i'm not in a position to 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 go unfortunately but but, but just thank you so much. And he said, Oh no, no, you're going to the show. Give me your, please give me your name and I'll, I'll take care of you. Wow. So Steve Howe put me on the guest list for the show that night and MSG like, or where were they? Uh, they were playing at the beacon. They were playing oh, at nice. the beacon theater. They were doing like two nights, I think at the beacon. And, um, and so, uh, this, so, okay. So, so, Years later, now in uh, here in LA, he's playing with um, Asia at a venue out in the valley. And I had played there not too long, um, uh, sort of uh, previously, right. with, with my dear, dear friend, Richard Marks, who's just, I mean, he's, yeah. Hiking buddies, I see. I see you guys. Yeah. See what you guys are up to? Hiking I love around. him. I love him so much, and he's just such an incredible. Well, he's 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 like a, a you know he's as good as it gets in terms of like being a singer, being a songwriter. Yeah, oh you know he just he's just an astounding talent and and a and a wonderful human being. Another you know just absolute brother of of mine. And and yeah. I mean, well, I could I could do a whole two hours on on my love for him, but um. So he and I had played at this venue not too long uh, uh, before. And so I reached out to the stage manager person there at the venue. And I said, Asia's coming. Like, could I possibly come and see if I could get backstage? And, and they said, sure. And so uh, I brought all the CDs that we had made uh, since I met Steve that night and, or that afternoon. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, and I, and I, you know, wrote notes to him on each one. I didn't put my phone number, didn't put my email. Like I was not asking for anything from this guy, but I did want him to see that like, you know, his, cause that moment when he said, you are coming to the show tonight and let me take care of you was not, was another moment of just absolute like generosity and kindness. And, um, and it was very impactful. Like when your heroes are like, are, are good, people and kind um uh, it's it just means so much right yeah. so um so i went backstage and i uh 
And I, I saw him, I sort of s- s- sidled up to him saddled. and saddled up to him, sidled, saddled, um, walked up to him and <laughs> I prefer walked, walked, yeah, that's better, that's better. Uh, I'm going to go with walked. And he, um, he, he sort of was, you know, open and receptive. And, and I said, Steve, you know, you, you, there's no way you'd remember this years ago. This is what you did for me. And, and, and this is sort of what I've done since that you know, moment that, that, that happenstance moment that, that, that we had together. And, and I just would like for you to have this music and maybe you'll, you'll give it a listen. And all these people were sort of like coming up to him and like a record guy was there and all that. And he kind of like brushed all these people off like for a wow. while yeah. and like, was like just completely engaged with me and focused on, uh, on me. And it just felt so nice again to say thank you and say like, Hey, this is, you know, th- that that moment so many years ago um it could so easily have been like the end of my jur- my musical journey yeah. um and the fact that it wasn't and isn't um is a real uh you know is a real blessing and there there have been moments along the way uh, of, in- of of deep encouragement from from people heroes um richard marx is is one of them um who I've really just sort of said, like, I remember actually, this is, this, I have, let me mention this and, 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 and then I'll let, you know, so I, I don't want to be the guy who's like, Hey, let's make it a four hour podcast. <laughs> but Richard, when go came out, Richard, uh, I, we had met, uh, in Tampa, um, his band was playing. It was the, it was the Super Bowl. His band was playing like on one city stage and we were playing on, on another. And, uh, Sean Hurley, our bass player knew yeah. Herman Matthews, who was playing drums with Richard at the time. And Sean was like, Hey, do you want to go see Richard? And I was a huge fan of his records. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, I absolutely want to. And so when we got to the bus, uh, his tour, you know, tour manager asked who we were, blah, blah, blah. We're Vertical Horizon. And you could hear Richard Marks in, in the bus going, Vertical Horizon, no way. Let them on. I want to meet these guys. So there was, he was that's, super cool and inviting awesome. and welcoming, right? So, so we had met and we were sort of in each other's lives a little bit. And when Go came out and didn't really do anything at all, um, he took the time to write this beautiful email to me, basically saying, like, I know what's happening to you right now. And I want you to know that like the Marx family loves this record. We listen to it all the time. The kids dig it. We listen to it in the car. And like, so no matter what else happens, like just know that it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful record and, and it's beautiful music. And, you know, I, I send awesome. you encouragement and, and it's just like, there have been moments like that along the way where, you know, it's just deeply impactful and I'm thankful for, for, for all that time. Wow. Thank you so much for for sharing. Uh, I I I loved every minute of it, and Dude. I, I wish I wish we can hang at some point uh, soon. Next time I'm in Greater LA, I'd love to track you down and take you out for coffee. And yes, next time you're in Phoenix, I'd love to see you perform, see the band, and and get to hang for a minute. But I really appreciate the time. Dude, I loved hearing the stories and and how I, some of them uh, I I we share. You know. Yeah. So it's it's encouraging, and obviously you're a big uh, inspiration uh, to me, and and a model of of how you can pursue this thing with humility and grace, 
And, and I just, I really appreciate you and, and, and the inspiration that you have provided to me over the years. So thank wow, you. Brian, that's so kind of you to say, man, I, I, well, I, I, I remember, I remember little, like little Brian, like back in the day, like in, in the basement at your family's house when we would rehearse down there and, and, and it's so beautiful. I think it's so beautiful that, that you've, that you've chosen this path and that you've been able to do this thing. Cause this thing, as we both know is not easy. Right. And like, and, and. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that you've, that you've been able to, to f- make a place for yourself in this crazy, crazy business of music. And man, I have to tell you, um, I was, uh, when I was getting ready to speak with you today, I went on and I was looking at some videos and, um, there was a, there's a video of you, uh, your trio playing in, I think over in Ireland, uh, playing a song called love song. Yeah. Did you write that song? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> that is a killer song. Oh, Crushing. Man. Come on. So good. And the band sounds amazing. Like the, oh, thanks, man. the bass player's killer, the, the guy who's playing like the, the, the sit down sort of drum cajon thing. It sounds so good and full and the harmonies are beautiful, but the craft of that song is, it's, you get it it's there you're there it's like it's it's that thing and it, it's interesting I, I actually can i ask you a question yeah when you wrote that song was uh i'm not gonna write you a love song because you ask for it because uh, you need one is was that song had that song already been written do you know i i don't know i i think i wrote that song in 2004 okay so so you wrote that song before i know what song i know what song you're you're thinking of i couldn't tell you when that song came out but it's sarah borellis yeah right 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 and it was just kind of everywhere and i was i was just wondering because the i was that's interesting to know um because your your approach on that is different enough that I would have believed it, w- it wouldn't have surprised me if that song had already existed and you had heard it and huh. you said, okay, I know that song's out there. I'm going to write a song called a love song. And then I'm going to write a song about like writing a love song. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm still going to go with it and just know that I'm in a slightly different lane. You know what I mean? But yeah. that, that, that the craft of that, uh, you know, I, I love, I love I love it when writers can su- surprise you. Um, there's a, there's a way I love I love being surprised by a song. And when I listened to that, and your performance was so beautiful, um, I was just I was I was so happily surprised by the chorus <laughs> uh-huh. that I that, that I was just like, oh my gosh, Brian, that's awesome! <laughs> you know, I was so proud of you. It's like because it's hard. It's hard to get that thing you know like that because you know it when it's right right and you and you also know when it's like i mean it's good enough you know right but but that song was just like this is it man this is the business that's that's very high praise and i can't wait to tell uh my bandmates that 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 you dug that (laughs) oh yeah i really did i really did so i um 
I applaud you. I, I look forward to, yeah, getting us getting to spend some time together and, uh, you know, it's it's really, really nice to chat with you. Thank you very much, Brian. It was awesome. I can't wait to see you, bud. Thanks again for your time. And, and um, yeah, we'll be in touch. I'm going to, sorry, but now I'm going to have to call you. You know, we're just going oh, to be buds fine. now. You know? Fine, be that way. Fine. Be my friend. Whatever. See if fine. I care. Fine. Did we just become <laughs> best friends? I don't know. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> We, I think we've. I think. I think the gestation period has been long enough for us to decide whether or not we could be friends. <laughs> We're vetted. <laughs> awesome, uh, man. Enjoy your day. Thanks, okay. man. Okay. Thank be you, in Brian. Touch, man. Yep. Okay, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Bye, bye.